for 34 years I've just been automatically this way and now I've got to override so much that's in here. But every day I do a slightly better job, slightly, and I'm having many, many, many more better days than hell days. So it's all, and this is only a couple of months start. So I'm sure in a year's time I'll be a whole new person. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. Don't we love a good story? That's what we're going to hear today. And more than just a story of transformation of inflammatory arthritis. But today we have an episode that is going to be jam-packed full of actionable tips and suggestions and workarounds. Uh, We're going to talk about all sorts of things today with our guest. We're going to talk about detoxification methods, calming methods, Uh, how to become the best version of yourself right now, adjusting our attitude if our attitude isn't optimal, and improving our sleep. We're going to talk about GI mapping, and we're going to spend some time talking about histamine issues. My guest has been able to work around some problems with histamines, and that's going to be of interest to our audience. Uh, My guest is Amy. She's from Ballarat. And she's ready and raring to go here. Great to have you with me, Amy. Thanks, Clint. Amy, uh, let's set the scene here. Have you got a sort of a, a short transformational sort of uh, statement you can you can give us to set the scene of, of what you've been able to achieve? Uh, yeah, really quick one. I, would, I was in hell for about three years and... I just had two babies, so I was in hell with two babies at home and I was breastfeeding and I would, you know, have to get up to them during the night to breastfeed and I couldn't even, I had to really push myself to pick them up out of the cot and, you know, that's just the starting point and that's 2 a.m. in the morning, let alone 9 a.m. and getting them dressed and it was excruciating to change their nappy to get clothes on to lift them to feed them everything was hell like I would get into the car I would somehow manage to buckle them in because my hands were burning my feet were burning every and and I couldn't think like I was really tired beyond tired exhausted I just had nothing and then having level 10 pain was exhausting on top of that And I was medicated at this time, it did nothing, to now I get up and I can run 3Ks, I don't have any pain, I can think, I can kiss my kids, I can cuddle them, I can run after them, I can do push-ups, planks, pull-ups, everything. But like, but the main thing is how like I can sit and I just feel free, I don't, it was hell on earth for three years and that felt like 25 years so to come out of it through a lot of work I I cry almost daily I used to cry every day for how much pain I was in and how bad my life was to now I cry 
pretty much every day to how grateful and, oh, my God, I can't believe this is my life. So, And what has your rheumatologist said about your transformation? Well, the first room, so I was in the hospital system, the public system originally, and my bloods always were low, but that was because from day one I found you and I stuck with your program just on baseline. I couldn't eat anything else because I'd burn. So <clears throat> bloods were always low. It, um, CRP would never measure. It was always below the five, and this is monthly. Um, ESR would fluctuate, but it was always low. So they never could figure out why I was in pain because I was just trying because the medication wasn't effective. So really they didn't notice anything because on paper they didn't seem to be much. But, I mean, when I got my markers done when they diagnosed me, they were sky-high markers for rheumatoid factor. So it's really hard because if you go off an outside external medical view on the blood, it doesn't look like the hell I was in. Mm. That's because I was only eating quinoa and spinach. <laughs> so we don't have that satisfaction of seeing the number come down from 56, which mine was down to 0 0.6. Um, mm. So we don't have um, that level of satisfaction um, and therefore we don't have that kind of like uh, emoji shock face from the rheumatologist that we would like to see. No. Um, but um, your, you know, your life is, uh, is obviously, you know, night and day compared to your, mm -hmm. your quality of life. In these days in Australia, we don't tend to measure rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP antibodies in any kind of routine checkup. The reason we don't do that in Australia with the public medical system, there's two reasons. One, it's they're expensive tests, I'm told. And so they say, well, you know, CRP, uh, ESR, these are inexpensive tests. Mm. And num number two is... Um, once you're diagnosed, then the monitoring of the disease is normally done for people who aren't like you, Amy, and normally done using CRP and secondarily through ESR. So um, you're measuring the um, autoimmune potential, which our rheumatoid factor and any CCP antibodies give us, is pointless. I mean, we know you have the disease. It's a diagnostic thing only mm -hmm. and then after that normally those inflammatory markers are used in your it's case it's interesting you say that because one doctor i was doing really bad i mean they never offered me any or they would just say take neurofin but i can't take neurofin due to what we'll talk about but um one doctor actually measured my crp my esr and also the rheumatoid factor and it turns out it had gone up again the rheumatoid factor so anyway just wanted to Chuck that in there. <laughs> Gone up again, even when you felt as good as you did. Like, uh, no, no, no. This no. was sorry, uh, in a time where I was doing particularly bad. Badly, yes. Um, yeah, so she measured again and mm -hmm. it had gone from, I think it started around 300. And when the second time she measured it, I was up to 370 or something. Okay. Uh, as a matter of interest, before we, you know, we deal, dive into your backstory in just a minute. For those people who are interested, we have seen normalization of rheumatoid factor using this program. 
using the Patterson program. It's not that common. Mine never normalized. I haven't had it checked in years, but it wasn't normalized when I, you know, at a blood test years ago, uh, when everything was was uh, uh, was ideal and and it hadn't normalized. So it's also oh, interesting. Yeah, but but it's also not it's also not alarming. Uh, yeah. So I forget the statistic, and I'm just going to pull a number out, but I think it's something like 30% of people over the age of 65 have elevated rheumatoid factor, even if they do not have rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, okay. Right. It's a big number, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a large a number in the community, and I've sh- I got to get that number uh, so I, I say that accurately each time, but it's, it's substantial. And it tells mm-hmm. us that autoimmune potential within human race has increased. We are, we are becoming more autoimmune sensitive. And will that play out for that 30% develop into rheumatoid arthritis or a variant? No, probably not, only a small mm-hmm. percentage. Anyway, we're getting too caught up in the excitement here. Let, let's, let's, let's talk about your, uh, your health issues growing up as a child. Was there something that you can identify growing up that may have contributed to? Because you're only yeah. young. So, I mean, how, what's, 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 what's many, going on? Many things have happened where I'm just like, there was another thing that would have caused leaky gut. But when I was a little girl, I used to get frequent and reoccurring urine infections. And I'd no sooner finish the antibiotics and I'd get it again. And I've since found out the length of why I used to get them. So there, there's one, and that's a huge one, and my mum never breastfed Mum ever watches this, I'm not blaming you, Mum. But I was I was not a breastfed baby. So, you know, there's one. And then very soon I'm taking antibiotics. And then um, as a teenager, I got really bad acne. I now understand the link with that and why that happened. But to fix that, I took Roaccutane. That's another welcome thing. To, welcome to the club, Amy, of those, the vast masses of us in our rheumatoid arthritis community who took acne antibiotics it is a life ruiner yeah our children will never do it there's no No. it it should never be done in my view no and unfortunately we it's just put in our pathways that we just go to a doctor and rely all on what the doctor says and it's just there's a reason why it's happening and our bodies are individual, so we've just got to, and I know now why the acne is, that what was happening. And then I would get really, really, really bad asthma. Like one day I went for a run and I nearly died. My mum was so lucky, like I was so lucky my mum was home. But I, my body was covered in hives, my eyes were split shut, and I couldn't breathe. I was near on death. Anyway, my asthma was extremely bad and I was on a preventer since I was a young teen. So there's another thing. Are they steroids? Yes, yeah. All right. Okay, so you couldn't have, there are maybe some extra things you could have done bad, but you've been not breastfed at all. You've gotten repeated UTIs and taking antibiotics. Then as a teenager, you took more antibiotics, and then you're on a puffer that's steroids, which we know the, the connection there between, uh, uh, you know, microbiome health and, and so on. Yeah. You, you poor thing, Amy. And, so- then, and then being an adult, making poor choices, I drank a lot. Like, there we go. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we've all been through that phase in our 20s. So when did RA come on? What what were the symptoms and at how old were you? Um, well, I wasn't typical. Usually women who get it on the onset of after birth, it's six weeks out. But I was six months after. And I just noticed this one night I picked that was Memphis that I was breastfeeding at the time to get out of bed, I'm like, oh, my God, what is wrong with my feet? And then to make it over the cot and try and lift him up, what is wrong with my hands? Like it was really weird. That was the start of figuring it out. <laughs> mm. When you said you were looking after two kids, uh, getting them in and out of the cot, have you got twins? No. So Charlie is, so they're 15, 18 months apart, sorry. But Charlie was still in a cot. Um, but yeah, Memphis mm. was in another one. Mm. Okay. Yeah, my sister and I are 18 months apart as well. Mm. Okay. Right. So, what did you do? You've been, you know, discovered that you've got agony, you're having all these problems. Obviously, you've sought out uh, information from the doctor, right? You've started looking into this holistic side of things. Can you tell us what happened? So, um, it was really kind of amazing. When I got my diagnosis, she called the hospital because she didn't know what to do for me. So, and the rheumatologist had a cancellation and called me to come in straight away. So on that same very day, I consulted with the rheumatologist, which is very rare. <laughs> and in, um, because I was breastfeeding, we tried Plaquenil from day one and I never had any relief from Plaquenil. And I don't know why, I just, when something really bad hits, you know to just try, look everywhere you can. And first I did the celery juice because of the medical medium, but then it didn't really resonate with me because I needed a reason why. I needed science. I needed to understand it. I just kept researching and you came up, I I don't even, can't even remember if it was YouTube or how or not. But as soon as you started talking and you said you had it, I just knew you had some great answers in there. So I, I don't know, I think it might have been around month two I started with you. And other than a few slip-ups, which were just me going, oh, the disease can't be that bad, and then, yes, it's that bad, I've stuck to the Patterson program. I don't it, I think it's around three years now. Three years. Okay. Mm. All right. It's okay. taken a long time to get good. Yes. Um, but also I'm excited because that means you're a real, you know, a veteran at this. You you're gonna have a lot of real nuance information and and I mean this is we're gonna be able to talk about some real nuts and bolts here, um, as opposed to sort of you know, me telling you sort of things that are coming in the future, we can have a, have a very advanced discussion. Okay. So now you were still on the Plaquenil at the time, mm -hmm. and then you've only just on month two, you've begun mm -hmm. making all these changes. Let's go through this. Uh, let's talk about what was working for you, what were limitations, um, and then you can lead into modifications that you had to make so spend some time talking about that. Um, so, yeah, I started on baseline and I, I never felt 
like I would finish a meal and I'd it was never really the pain was never bad, but I never felt energetic or I don't know. I just it, it was like that I was missing something. I, I just didn't understand why this baseline I wasn't I would feel good after the fast. But as soon as I had the quinoa, and I mean that was the baseline, I would just still burn. But I stuck with it because I knew. I don't. You, you do try and get adventurous, and when you get adventurous, you quickly learn how much better you were on the quinoa. Or even though you were reacting slightly to that, it was nowhere near as bad as eating outside the program. Well, that's well said. And the way I put it is that there is no foods at all when you're heavily inflamed that give you no pain. There no. isn't, except for not eating, as you as you mentioned. Yeah. But we can't not eat forever. So we're going that, to have to the, yeah, yeah. eat some food. And this is the 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 uh, the most probable combination of low inflammatory foods that I've ever found and that seems to have helped a lot of people. Um, And so, yes, if we didn't eat, we'd do better, but we're trying to come up with a sustainable, nutritionally complete, calorie adequate diet here. And uh, and you're absolutely right. It's not going to cause, it's not going to create zero pain right off the bat. Um, Mm. I I did baseline alone for 12 months, 12 Mm. months, just because I, found that it was the lowest inflammatory state. And every time I, well, I didn't even try and venture off it too much because I was in such agony prior that I didn't want to mess with it. I just thought, oh, yeah. So back to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. What did you do? You, what'd you do? Um, Well, life continued. I was so scared. And, you know, you got little kids and no idea how, how else, what else to do because I'm following your program, I was doing exercise daily. I bought an elliptical off Facebook Marketplace and I use that sucker nearly every day. (laughs) And even back then, because I was still in so much pain, the exercise wouldn't really relieve me because I'd be more exhausted and I'd, you know, and then I've got to chase after kids. One day we were travelling and I hadn't had my quinoa yet. And my feet, I was just present. You learn to really feel your body, which is a good thing and a bad thing sometimes, but they didn't hurt. And I'm like, what have I done differently today? And I hadn't had my quinoa. So then I'm like, right, I can cut that out and not be in pain, but now I'm just back to salad. So what do I eat? That's all right for two days, but what do I eat long term? And but we're now talking nearly two and a half years later, Clint. Like I, I had no idea what to do for so long and rice would hurt me too. So I didn't know what to have now. And then on your podcast, you talked about resistant starch and cooling, you know, once your rice is cooled, then you eat it. And the resistant starch is really Good for your gut health. I don't know why I decided to give rice another go, but I did, and I did it cold, no pain. So then I knew I could have one grain without no pain as long as it was followed with salad. 
like kale. Yeah. Wonderful. I mean, that's a great discovery. I don't know. I, and it was just pure luck. I mean, it had been two and a half years of just doing the same thing. Knewing I was better off by being on the program, but not knowing what to do next, you know. If there was another breakthrough for you. Yeah. Yeah. And the benefit, well, there's fours and against of switching across to the rice. And I don't want to talk too much. I'm, we've got a lot to learn from you, but uh, the rice is not as calorie dense as the buckwheat, quinoa, but it's more, it's more, sorry, it's not as nutritionally dense, but it is more calorie dense. So mm. it serves a purpose in that sense. But especially if, I, if we're talking about basmati rice, uh, white rice, uh, you know, sushi rice, um, if we're talking about brown rice, which I don't expect you're talking about, we're talking no, about brown rice, it is nutritionally excellent. Um, yes. Well, that was a breakthrough, and so it took you two and a half years to work that out. Don't be ashamed of that. Uh, I was putting flaxseed in green smoothies for six months or nearly maybe six months before I realised when I took that out, I had much less pain um, and just got my calories from other sources, starch yeah. like we're talking about, right, uh, the pseudo grains and, and, and rice. And I also discovered uh, after months that when I took olive oil off my salad, I felt infinitely better. And these things yeah. took me, like combined, I'm on these things together for a year. And so, you know, we are all making these discoveries. And uh, Yeah. So you I did try and incorporate because I just see so much benefit in the good omegas like the flax. But even like I was down to adding just a pinch and I mean the tiniest pinch into a smoothie and I would burn straight away. So for me right now, it's just not worth it. But eventually, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, it's, it's, you can look at that down the, down the track. Um, hmm. So what about, uh, so that brings us fast forward to only six months ago, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So what else have, did you learn? Uh, what other modifications did you make and discoveries? So for me, it's also on par with the leafy greens. It's also the things that are really good for lowering histamine, which is the quercetin sort of foods. I don't supplement it. I use the foods for that. But for me, for the rheumatoid and the histamine that's happening, things like broccolini is amazing. As soon as I eat that, my body feels amazing. Same as kale, but it's got to be organic. My goodness, I tried just the other day. I couldn't get organic and I tried just the normal one and my throat burnt even though I rinsed it so clearly because I do have a very sensitive system so I've got to watch a lot. But all the herbs, um, like particularly for me, basil, parsley and coriander, and the red onion. So these are all really good quercetin foods, but they help me with the histamine as well um, and the rheumatoid, I mean, yeah. So just to, because I made a big hack. So the more basil or basil, as uh, the US say, uh, <laughs> parsley, um, coriander and broccolini and organic kale that you eat, you feel that that uh, really, really helps. 
really, really helps you. Even to the point of like if I was just to eat rice by itself, my body would hurt a bit. So I always have the salad with it but still finish with the salad because then I, you know, get to leave the table and I'm in no pain. So why would I not do it in that order? (laughs) Completely understand. You get into these almost superstition situations where you just want to do the same thing every time because varying anything feels dangerous. Oh, yeah. And I've been there for so long, I don't want to go back. Yeah. So uh, at the moment, it still seems a bit like survival to the outside. But to me, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so safe. I'm happy and pain-free. What was – so, like, at the – I'm a bit back and forth, sorry. But, like, on the program, I listened to a podcast one day and a lady was talking about fermenting her oats. So I thought I'll just – jump in and try the oats I did get pain but that was when I really started to understand the histamine that what my body was going through because with the fermented oats my eczema got that bad that my hands actually looked like they were third degree burns because they'd split in so many places and I wasn't sleeping and I'm like what's going on like I'm just eating oats and because I hadn't figured out yet that I had a histamine intolerance all my life and no doctor had told me anything about it. They've just said, you got oh, asthma, oh, you got eczema, oh, you got acne, but no one ever discusses anything with you and I just thought that that was how it was. And I just came across this histamine thing one day and I started to realise the fermented oats were part of the problem, so I took them out. Then I was still itchy, so I, and spinach is a high histamine food. So I swapped the spinach for, I think it was lettuce at the time. But then all of a sudden I felt really good in, in my skin. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've figured something out there. So it took a long time because I just didn't trust my body and I was so scared and I had no idea why. You know, your programs work for so many people and why couldn't I just make it make me feel that good? And I had to learn these things very slowly, sometimes very harshly, and I learnt my lesson over time. When I um was putting together this part of my book and which I've flicked across now onto my screen and looking at my book draft, and I'm talking about the new book, not the Patterson program, I had a microbiome researcher look into the literature on this. So I tried to, throughout this book, go to the medical literature and find out what does it say? What, what, what's actually going on in the science? And his summary on this from the science is, it appears that the gut microbiome may be the single biggest variable determining whether one responds adversely to histamine-containing foods this has been identified with regards to specific gut organisms. While many people with RA may choose to avoid histamine-containing foods, I feel that this is misguided and counterproductive. Fermented and fermentable foods contribute to a healthy microbiome. Intolerance of these indicates the microbiome is dysbiotic, and the best course of action would be to work on addressing the dysbiosis, not eliminating the trigger. It all comes down to the gut. So we know that. We know that 
histamine intolerance is obviously a uh, gut dysbiosis situation. We spoke right at the start of our conversation, all the things that happened in your past Mm. about creating dysbiosis, all the antibiotics, no breast, no breast milk, um, Mm. and, uh, and so on. And so uh, it's no secret that all of us with rheumatoid arthritis, when we develop RA, we have dysbiosis. Mm. And so I spoke about this on our live calls with Dr. Chris Miller as well, uh, lupus recovery. And she talked about how fermented foods for her also would really stir her up. That podcast was another big light bulb moment for me, which we'll go into. Sorry. Right. Oh, no, no, sorry. Yeah, jump in at any time. And so I would do exactly as you're doing. I wouldn't ferment. I wouldn't eat fermented foods either. But my... But the reason for just uh, sort of making some of these comments is for 95 or maybe even even greater uh, percent of the people following this path, they may not have the histamine intolerance and may not yeah. need to be concerned with, these, with this discussion. Exactly. Yeah. But all of us can take on board from this, everyone, that all of us are so unique and individual. And if yeah. something even though it's worked for others like the spinach or the quinoa, whatever it might be, if that thing's triggering us, get the thing out of the diet. Just get it out. There are other things that we can eat. And if the rice, for example, increases inflammation a little more, then exercise it away or or increase the dose of the plaquenil, for example, or whatever it might be. But let's let's avoid known food triggers if, if they're there. So yeah. thank you for letting me share that little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's fascinating how our bodies are, you know, uh, unique and we need to be very careful um, to pay attention to those big alarms that are going off when we're eating those, those things. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. In a sense, not be so fearful, but just try and understand the science and mechanisms behind it to try and figure it out too like think logically not can't go with your heart with a lot of this stuff you need to work it out map it out and use whatever resource you can um but on to dr chris miller was that her name yeah Yeah. i had trial probiotics because i mean i i read all your stuff and i listened to your podcast and every probiotic i would react to and you did that podcast with her not not so long ago and I'm like, right, I'm going to give this another try because that particular, I'd forgotten, um, but my I had my son on that particular probiotic. She recommends to start with the SB5B strain. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it worked really well for him. And I'm like, I'm going to give this another go. And by this stage I'd already started supplementing with magnesium and I was a lot calmer and I didn't react with the probiotic. So I had that twice a day now and it's really good. In fact, it actually helped me get out of a bit of a pickle. I, I read somewhere about how the herb thyme helps, is a good anti-inflammatory herb. And so I put that on my salad. And I also forgot about once upon a time, because it's been like three years, so you do forget what you have and haven't done. 
when I first got my GI map test done, it came back with the bad bacteria that I had high, high levels of the citrobacteria. Okay. Is that, that, is that how you pronounce it? I don't. I can't say that I remember that one in particular. Mm, okay. Well, I had high levels of that. And I remember back then um, the researchers said to take oregano and thyme. So I put that on my salad and I burnt back then, but I forgot that this happened. So then recently I was put thyme on my salad for the anti-inflammatory properties and then I burnt again and it all then I started to remember what had happened originally so clearly like the time upsets that bad bacteria and that's why I get a bad reaction and then I remember you saying it's always best to go with like building the good bacteria versus trying to get rid of your bad bacteria because that's where it can hurt so I used your thought process and I thought, well, I'll just take another probiotic because that will help influence the better bacteria again. And within 30 minutes, the total body burn had gone. I'm like, oh, thank God. Goodness. <laughs> but I had you, to think quick. <laughs> you, you really do. You're very sensitive, aren't you? Your body. Very. Your body. Mm. Very sensitive. Like. You know, you see on the news, there's those people with those anaphylactic reactions and they can't figure out what's happening. If I hadn't have got rheumatoid and learnt a lot of valuable lessons, that would have been me. Like my system is hypersensitive and I'm doing a lot of things now to work on that because it's not just that I got reactions to histamine, it's Everything that I have in my brain, I've always been so scared, always. And you can't be telling a body that for nearly 34 years and not have, a, not have it feel like it's running for survival. You know, you just you can't be giving your body that message for all that time. Oh, Amy, we've just uncovered mm. another layer, haven't we? It seems Huge. like, yeah. you know, I'm no psychologist, but. Um, it does appear from what you've just said that your body may be uh, hyper hypersensitive um, because of this this mental uh, repeated affirmation of I'm scared I'm scared mm. I'm scared of the food or I'm scared of something something is really really um, uh, made you on high alert and your body yeah. is responding like that. And being triggered by all sorts of, you know, otherwise fairly subtle processes. And uh, it's made everything so much harder for you. Mm. I did also want to mention that, like, for three years, I did try to medicate. So I was on the plaque when all that did nothing. So then we introduced methotrexate, and that was bought for the tablet first, first starting out at 10 milligrams. But all that happened was I'd feel worse, particularly the day after taking it. I'd feel worse. No, I never got any pain really. Then we went to injection and I went up to 25 milligrams and it did nothing but just make me feel worse. Wow. Okay. Then yeah, what else have you, did you try? 
So my wrist, there was so many bad spots in my wrist, they didn't know where to put the steroid because it was all so under the skin, it was all so bad. And, I mean, he they would be trying to put the steroid in and I couldn't even get my wrist into the position where they needed it because they would sort of need it bent a bit to manoeuvre my wrist to do it because it was really, I had bulges out here and I had a bulge out this side and that this particular wrist had three steroid injections and they were delivered with the anaesthetic as well. Didn't do a single thing to that wrist. It's like medication, just no medication has worked. So after that, I thought I've got to do something here because like this thing's just running rampant and it's deforming my joints in no time at all. So I commenced biologics. I went on Zimzia, but I got a really bad rash. I was at 12 weeks of Zimzia and I contacted the rheumatologist and she said, go over for a week and see what happens. The rash went away and then I moved uh, state. We were in Queensland and we moved down to Bendigo and I had to find a new rheumatologist. And, you know, you ring around and it's hard to get a rheumatologist appointment and I couldn't sort of get anywhere for another six months. And then all of a sudden I just sort of had, after hearing that, I'm like, right, well, no one can help me for six months. I'm not going on steroid tablets or anything like that. And I'd already figured out the rice thing. So I'm like, oh, I'll just eat more leafy greens and I just stuck, I just stick with that meal really. And I have I call it my carrot juice. I have apple, carrot and ginger. And because I can't have the celery juice because of the high oxalates, I get really itchy. So I cut that out and I found for me, as long as I'm hydrated and got the leafy greens, I'm quite alkaline, so it's good. Oh, that's interesting as well. You've dropped another sensitive topic there with the word oxalates. This one triggers <laughs> a lot of people. People get very excited about oxalates. As I flick back to my book again, and, and I want you to keep talking and not me, but just to just just so you know, I hired a different medical researcher who went through PubMed, Scopus, Embase, and Google Scholar with oxalate and rheumatoid arthritis. There is no related direct or, or, or casual relationship between RA and oxalates in the literature whatsoever. So that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It means that uh, it's certainly not a prevalent thing for people with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, kidney stones as well. Um, that we can we can feel comfortable with that. And the reason I went to the science on this is because one of the big uh, guidelines around the minimization of kidney stones is the number one is to increase fluid intake because oxalates exit the body through urine. So if you found that drinking more water helps with what may be an oxalate or just an overall inflammatory issue, it could just be that it's because oxalates are being peed out. Maybe, but like even only a couple of months ago, I had a beetroot and okay. in the morning 
Like I couldn't even apply the lipstick to my lips because they get like bubbly, like they're burnt. So I've just got a very hyper system and instead of feeling like that's a negative, I'm just going to yep. work with it because Absolutely. I've finally come out of this big bad cloud and I'm okay and my body's got to learn that. That's what it is. It is. And I feel that if you avoid these triggers long enough, they may subside and mm. you may find that something that was triggering you a lot in the past may not in a year from now. That's my expectation. That, that is mine too. That, and especially now, um, I know I've been jumping and I'll try and settle it down a bit, but if anyone out there is really hypersensitive, I would urge you to try the magnesium. Because for me, it's been the golden answer to many different mechanisms that's helped me onboard many different supplements to then keep being calm and being happy in my body. And the magnesium I take, because if you have a histamine intolerance issue, there's um, magnesium out there that's fermented, so you've got to be careful. Um, the magnesium I take is magnesium L3NH and it's specifically marketed for cognitive function. So I take one in the morning, maybe one in the afternoon and the standard dose is, is three before, like two hours before you go to bed. And I never used to realise that I never used to sleep. Clean. Like, again, there's another you know, pebble in the works of why my body is so disrupted because if you're not sleeping, you're not restoring. And now I get eight hours of sleep a night and it's just heaven on earth. <laughs> wow. Okay. That would be the biggest thing. Yeah. Now, I've had others cite their perceived improvement by taking magnesium. This isn't yeah. the first time this has sort of come up. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done any research on it other than what I can draw upon a literature review from years ago when I was obsessed about potassium. I used to take tons of potassium because mm -hmm. I went, you know, I went through phases where I was all about enzymes and raw foods. Then I went through a phase where I was all about alkalinity. And mm -hmm. we know from medical studies that people with rheumatoid arthritis when they take a potassium on its own or in a different study b just a mixture of alkalizing minerals mm -hmm. both studies show a significant improvement in symptoms for people with rheumatoid so i've thought okay it is the alkalinity now the reason i'm this is a i'm drawing a fairly long bow here back to magnesium but potassium and magnesium work together in the body so i used to supplement magnesium as well mm -hmm. and therefore there were bottles and bottles coming through my house or apartment back in the day uh, over the years uh, with magnesium in it, and i was supplementing mm -hmm. it too never had any concerns never and that but that was the extent of my magnesium sort of exposure but then, as I said, over the last 12 months, we've got members in our support group who are talking about using magnesium, including Caroline. If you're watching this, she watches all our pub podcasts and is a crucial member of our forum. Uh, she recently started taking magnesium, felt better for it. Now, she mm -hmm. feels fantastic. She's like a really like elite 
Patterson programmer. And, uh, and she just found that little adjustment for her was uh, one that uh, uh, made a difference. So I'm, I think there's, you know, something in it, yeah. Mm. And, like, if I ever wanted a treat, even something like a water-based sorbet would set off my symptoms because of the sugar still in it um, that would set off histamine issues. And I was trying this DAO supplement, which is meant to be able to reduce the amount of histamines, so therefore ideally you don't get a reaction. But even at three tablets, I was still getting reactions. And then the other day I remembered I do use this one website and anyone that's hypersensitive needs to go to Marcel360 because it's real. She, her name is Beth O'Hara. She's a functional naturopath over in America. I would love to be able to consult with her, but she doesn't do international clients. And she's who's got me out of this bad reaction road. She's who got me onto just by her information on the website telling me about magnesium and things like that. So also the, the enzyme you need to break down histamine is DAO, but what helps produce that is to have enough magnesium in your system. Hmm. Hence why I was getting all these reactions because my magnesium wasn't adequate to be able to produce it because my guts are so bad in, you know, leaky gut terms. So anyway, I went and tried a sorbet. I tried it with one DAO supplement and one magnesium supplement and I did not even get a twinge. Hmm. Gone from not being able to sleep two nights from a, a sorbet originally to I don't I don't get any symptoms. It just didn't happen. Hmm. Given that magnesium in particular is is very affordable, um, what what's the other supplement? DAO. Um, DAO. That's the magnesium that I take is actually pretty expensive. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, but it's the only one that's effective, so I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Um, the DAO supplement runs, I think it's about the 60 in a bottle, I think, and it's around about $110. And that's Australian dollars. So it's probably, yeah. that equates to about, say, 65 US. Yeah. And you, and it does have to come from America. Well, the one that I took, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there's some good sort of resources there for people if they want to explore this avenue. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds like the the risks the risks are very low to ex to explore. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is interesting. What else have you got for us, Amy? On our list here, I was going to be asking you about detox methods. We're we're coming up to the hour. We've we've got a yeah. lot of, we're doing a lot of chatting here. Um, those supplements are interesting. Um, let's talk about overcoming eczema and hay fever. Asthma, anxiety, yeah. brain fog. Um, what have you got for us in that department? So once I cut out the things like fermented foods, the spinach, the high histamine foods, um, it was my asthma went away. It just mm. it wasn't even gradual, it just stopped. Now how and long have I you had asthma? All my life. And it's been bad all my life. Okay, I'm just letting that sink in for my own 
benefit and also for other people. So you've had asked me your whole life, yep. taking one of those little, what we used to have, call them at school puffers, like a little sort of inhaler. Yeah, the, even though I was on steroids, I would still take six to eight goes of the reliever a day. Really and now, bad asthma. And now, now you have no asthma symptoms. No, I go for a run around the lake, even in the cold morning. I don't even take any reliever at all. The only time I have is when I got the flu really, really, really badly and I don't even think I had asthma, but I took it out of reflex of, oh, I feel like I can't breathe, so I took that. But, yeah, for nearly 33, I know I've sort of not had asthma for a couple of years now, so, yeah, 32 years, really bad. What, what are, what's your commentary on that? I mean, how does that make you feel to know that this whole time there were dietary reasons? It makes me really angry because <laughs> I never no one ever told my mum or nothing that there was another solution and you're stuck with this body that has all these bad reactions and that's just how it is and that's just not the case <laughs> you're not the first person who's told me that they have eliminated their asthma symptoms as being part of our community however yep. I think that you are the longest asthmatic who's completely gotten rid of symptoms. And therefore, um, and also since I didn't even know that, like we're, we're kind of chatting about other things here and it's not something that I knew. And to just get rid of asthma like that in a relatively short period of time. It's, it's such a funny thing because for something that ruled my life, all my life, and now I don't even need to give it a single thought. It's kind of comical it's like wow it's weird it is funny isn't it yeah 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 a light went off and it's just no longer there oh my gosh um so you've got no asthma you're on no medications for rheumatoid arthritis whatsoever you've got no, no pain for rheumatoid no. arthritis if i do get pain it's in my collarbone and thanks to you i know to go hang out on my pull-up bar and I also have a long, really long foam roller and I lay on that and I just stretch my uh, elbows out to 90 and just let all the muscles and ligaments and everything relax. And if it's really bad, I'll go to bed with a sore shoulder, but by the morning it's gone. That's the only pain I get intermittently now. Mm, and that won't oh, and I don't. I always had steroids for my cream. For my eczema, I don't have anything now. I never used to be able to wear my rings because the eczema was so bad. And I mean, I can even use soapy water now and I just don't react the same way that I was. Everything's just calm and settled now. Mm. Oh, Amy, you're a gem. Okay, <laughs> let's... Uh... Let's go through the last things on our list here. Um, mm -hmm. Detoxification methods. Uh, sauna is listed. Can you tell us about your experience with that? Well, originally I went in too hard and too fast with the sauna. I used it every night. I didn't wash off my makeup. My acne got worse. 
I also don't think, and my anxiety got worse. And I, back then I had no idea why, because I've had the sauna a couple of years now. And I, I just, yeah, didn't make sense of any of it. And then it wasn't until recently I remembered, well, if I'm doing a sauna, I'm detoxing. So that would get rid of all my magnesium. I've just got on board with my supplements. So what I made, make sure I do now is I have an um, Epsom salt bath, so that's just magnesium sulfate. I have a bath and then I just make sure I take my magnesium L3 and 8. Mm, um, around clever. that too, I did want to mention the skincare routine I do because I found my skin got really dry from the saunering. So I cleanse. I put this hyaluronic serum on. And that just really absorbs and holds a nice amount of water in your skin. And then I moisturize on top of it. And then when I get out, I rinse and do it all again. It just, just be aware that the sauna is detoxing everything and it can dry you out. So make sure mm. to drink enough water, have all your fundamental things like your magnesium and good skincare routine. Mm. Hey, you mentioned magnesium and um, have you tried coconut water? Uh, given that it has a sugar content, I'm wondering whether or not it makes you uh, po- has a positive impact or a negative impact. It was quite a while ago now that I trialed it. A no. lot's changed since then, but when I did, I did react to it. Mm. I don't know about now. Yeah, might be something yeah. to look at in the future. Yeah. Um, where I position coconut water is a reward drink. So yeah. water's water's best most of the time. Celery cucumber for most people um, mm-hmm. is even better because it's just water plus alkaline and minerals and some uh, phytonutrients and so on. But it's pretty much just water and nutrients. And then uh, coconut water because of a little bit of sugar in there. Um, you know, it's got no probably very little fiber. You just you're drinking a bit of sugary water with some electrolytes. If you've just exercised, you're going to burn that up in a second and you're going to benefit. But if you're sitting around on the couch, uh, maybe not so much so. So it depends. Yeah. But just so you. Yeah. yeah, keep it in mind. Definitely. Keep I will. Um, oh, no. Sorry. I got off topic. About the oxalates, that just be aware with the Epsom salts that the specific detoxifying mechanism there is to purge your oxalates. So if anyone is sensitive to them, what they're going to find is if they have too much Epsom salts in the bath, it will draw them the oxalates out and all of a sudden you'll be really itchy. So my only advice, which is what I did, I started off at a cup and I was beyond itchy. So just start off at a teaspoon. That's another thing that I found out from Marcel360. Start off at a teaspoon and work your way up because you've got to be gentle in detoxifying too it's not about hard and fast Mm, i like that okay sounds good my kids love the epsom salt baths i was doing it sometime mine too (laughs) yeah they love the texture of how it feels in the bath and how crunch like it in the beach yeah yeah and it and how it dissolves and that fascinates them after maybe a minute or two it all dissolves and they just find that intriguing so yeah, yeah it's a uh uh, it's a fun thing that the kids yeah. can get involved with. It um, is. Talk about calming methods because, 
you know, we, we touched upon before the self-talk that you've mm-hmm. you've probably been challenged with over the years. Yes. What do you do so, to calm that down? Um, so I do a lot of work um, with uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. I do a lot of Blackie's YouTube guided meditations. I've read a lot of his books. It's taken me a long time to realise the program that's in here. Um, and also through Marcel 360, she advises the Gupta program. So I'm a member of that. Now that is a that is quite a bit of money, but for me, that's where my priority is. I know I need to settle down and reprogram my thoughts and my body so it can feel calmer. So those are the two things I do and Basically, it's a lot of meditation and it's a lot of interrupting the old thought automatic processes to purposely stopping and putting a new one in. And so all day long, that's what I'll do. Can you give us a simple example? Yeah. Um, so say if say if I drop my water bottle, my instant reaction would be I would get annoyed and be like, oh, you're stupid. But with the program, I don't want to give too much away because, you know, I want to respect his business. But it's a series of steps where I literally am telling myself, stop, stop, stop. And then I work work through the new thought that I want to produce from that. And it's exhausting a lot of the time because for 34 years I've just been automatically this way and now I've got to override so much that's in here. But every day I do a slightly better job, slightly, and I'm having many, many, many more better days than hell days. So it's all, and this is only a couple of months start. So I'm sure in a year's time I'll be a whole new person. Well, it sounds like you've already made so many massive changes with not yeah. just the dietary side of things. You bought the elliptical, you're doing that every day, and then you've you've made all of your discoveries with the with with to to adjust for your um, sensitivities. Your eczema's gone, your asthma's gone, your pain's gone. I mean, the transformation in you in the last three years, I mean, is unbelievable. For someone, one of your friends, I'm sure, if you haven't seen them for 12 months and they catch up, how are you going, Amy? <laughs> Where do you start? I mean, this is nuts. Um, yep. So, yes, you must certainly be come across as a very interesting part of your social network. People must be <laughs> like, what's Amy at at the moment, you know? Yeah. I must admit, I, a lot's behind closed doors because I was so emotional and life was so hard for so long that not many people know other than my family. Another thing that two more supplements I just want to chuck in because I know we're um, getting a bit (laughs) time-consuming, but I can't have vitamin C because of the citrus I react. So I take Camu powder and one teaspoon of that is equivalent to 10 oranges. But I take the vitamin C, not only is it just a really good thing to have on board, but it's also it helps the body make that DAO enzyme. So that's why it works. And so so you, now you that like I've got the- stuff on board, I might be able to introduce things slowly soon. I don't know about the Camus powder. I'll have to look that up. How do you spell that? Yeah, it's another thing 
Marcel 360 made me aware of, and it's really good, yeah. Um, and then I also take the 10,000 IU for vitamin D. Beautiful. Yeah, I take a 10,000 as well. I don't take it every yeah. day because my levels just go skyrocket. But I Oh, right. Yeah, I, I take, take mine daily, particularly mm-hmm. because you can see that I'm on such a small amount of foods. I can't build it up with food, so I've got to supplement the fundamentals. But I've tried I've tried it with or without the vitamin D, and I'm much better with the vitamin D. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I certainly like my D as well. I, may, I sleep like a baby. I have the most intense dreams when I take the D. Wow. I take it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just gets me into really sort of deep, deep sleep. Okay. Um, where are we up to now? We've got... Um, uh, bringing forward the future you that you want to be into the present mm-hmm. is a note yeah. that I've made. Yeah, so that comes down to the programming again, stopping myself as I can feel myself getting carried away, getting into the headspace of this beautiful person that I want to be and work from that um, and then doing the meditations as well. Okay, so that's tied into the Gupta program and uh, some of the other meditation work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then attitude, don't come at it with fear. Let's talk yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Well, firstly, you need um, a bit of insurance up your sleeve. And I was always so fearful of trialing things because my reactions were so bad and would be for so long that I was petrified of trialling something. And, again, through Marcel 360, she had a cheat sheet, not a cheat sheet, but just a troubleshoot sheet if you have a reaction. And on that sheet, particularly for histamine reactions, to reset your body, if I got a reaction now, I would take a quarter of a teaspoon of bicarb soda and a little shot of water and it is the most effective thing you can ever have. It's, I used to take Telfast and antihistamines daily and they did nothing for me, but I would take them out of fear because I didn't know how bad L-soup would be. And this bicarb in 15, well, not even 10 minutes, your body is reset. You don't even have a reaction. So It can go uh... from asthma attack to itchy to instant calm. It is so good to have up your sleeve. So work with that. And once I had that moment, I realised, okay, well, the fear is gone. The actual real fear is gone because I can control the reaction. And now I've just got to go to the science and research it and figure it out and remember what mechanisms I'm working with and think analytically. Don't think psychologically into the emotional state you could be in because that's the whole program that I got caught up in. And then you're almost reacting before you've even touched anything because you've gotten carried away. So we've got to let the words on the paper and the science and the people who have done all this beautiful research and trials, we've got to work with that. Mm, I like that. Uh, and it's coming up time and time again. I hear the word, you know, fear. And uh, 
you know, if we were part of a uh, in-person event or something, I would have everyone come and give you the biggest cuddle and just tell you everything's okay. You've done amazing. Uh, the fear you can let go of and the fear is behind you and whatever caused a lot of this fear in your infancy and upbringing, probably health-related triggers and so on. Exactly. Um, you're now on the other side of the hump. Yeah. And, 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 and everything now is going to be okay. Life is different now. And yeah. these sort of affirmations I'd be placing into my, my brain um, to, to, to because that's the truth. That is the truth. It is the truth. Yeah. And I believe that now. And I sit in my meditations and I just cry because I'm, I'm like close to that person in my future. All of a sudden it feels I'm okay. And to cry through happiness is just glorious compared to, to cry through hell, you know. Absolutely. An amazing life. You just got to keep fighting for you. Don't let people tell you this is how you are. No. That's not the case. Uh, it certainly isn't. It certainly isn't. So let's wrap up now. Um, I've gone into darkness here. I'm just a floating yes. face in the <laughs> darkness. Uh, the sun has set. It's a grey day outside and uh, and the late afternoon is turning into night. So um, for those people watching, I've turned up my screen uh, brightness to maximum so that you can still see uh, some part of me. And then uh, let's talk about exercise and then sleep, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay, so with the exercise, I found I wasn't doing it because I couldn't be bothered getting changed. <laughs> to me, it didn't seem like it really did help a lot of inflammation, but stick with it because it really does. Because now I just, so when I get off this podcast, I'll go and do a workout in these clothes because otherwise I won't do it because then I've got to cook dinner and you've got to organize the kids and it just doesn't happen. But lately I've been getting like a burn in my spine, which from the day I was diagnosed, there's been a lot of pressure in my spine, but obviously it's just settled in that area now and there's a dull burn. And I notice as soon as I start to sweat, as soon as I start to get that heat, that spine burn just goes. It's like a magic, I wouldn't even say pill because that's all gone now. That None of that works. It's just the best therapy. So hmm. it's got to be enough to sweat though, like you've always said, time and time again. How wonderful that you've also found that out for yourself. Hmm. Um, and so I love that you just work out in the clothes that you've got on so that you've yeah. eliminated every possible excuse just yeah. get in there and do it, right? Less washing. <laughs> you fit it all in one load then with the whole family's washing. you got to just keep tweaking. Um, and was it the sleep, did you say? Sleep, yeah. Sleep yeah. you've mentioned has improved a lot, but any more tips mm -hmm. in that area? Yeah, I do. I'm very sensitive, obviously, in a lot of different areas. So even like, my husband's sleeping and breathing and him moving or making noise wakes me up. So I actually found this company and they're called Ear Loops or something. And so they're just like an earplug, but they're comfortable. They sit in your ear. They don't hurt to sleep on or anything like that. 
Um, so I use that and that really helps stop, you know, I don't wake up frequently because I'm not startled by noise. Another thing's the magnesium L3 and 8. I take three before, two hours before bed. And turn off your screens a little bit before bed. Just let your body calm down a bit. And also direct sunlight exposure in the eyes as well. Like, so go outside and take your glasses off because that helps the melatonin levels in your body. And that's something that's really helped me as well. Yeah. First thing in the morning is best for that, isn't it? Yeah. As soon, as soon as you wake up, we want to get the blue light, the morning light into our eyes, and that sets our circadian rhythm. Yeah, and that's the safest time to get the sun, they say, as well. So Yeah, UV levels are low, but uh, we've got uh, visible light, and we also have near-infrared radiation at fairly high levels, which is the one that, if we're not looking through a, a glass pane but actually out in it, uh, is really beneficial, as you said, <laughs> melatonin. Well. Thank you very, very much, Amy. Gee, I feel like I've really gotten to know you in this discussion. I feel like I've thank you, Clint. I've seen a very, very behind the scenes, uh, almost uh, uh, personal and uh, very revealing um, account of of your life. You've been very transparent and um, uh, vulnerable in sharing some of these things that haven't come up in a lot of our other discussions, as you say. A lot of people come on here and they're like, I did your program, I feel tremendous, yay, high five through the screen. Yours has been one more of of deep modifications and explorations and many things that you've you've uncovered through your own uh, frustrations and own uh, sort of perseverance. So well done, Uh, fantastic uh, discovery work. Uh, and and it's wonderful to to hear how well you're doing. It's just sensational. Congratulations. Thank you, Clint. You're a big part of it, so thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.